Uh, welcome to the new tab theatre. Please welcome a man who is sick to the death of disgusting audiophiles. Here's Richard Herring. Thank you very much. Hello. Welcome, 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 welcome. Uh, welcome to Richard Herring's last Shitting Thursday podcast. I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm very happy to be doing this. Uh, don't you worry. Uh, I love being here. Though. Um, I was uh, hanging around with all the nominees uh, for the Perrier Awards. Uh, no, they don't call that that anymore, do they? Uh, all the nominees for Dave's Best Comedy Show at the Pleasance Awards. And um, they call it Relastopus. I don't know if that's going to catch on. Good to see the Pleasance doing well. It's nice to see the Pleasance acts doing well. I've been at the Edinburgh Fringe for too long, right? I, I know that now. I passed um, a homeless man in the street... Uh, the other day, he had a sign saying, I need £16 to get a room in a hostel. And I thought, how the fuck did you afford that? Where'd you get that deal? <laughs> Should be giving me some money back, mate. Do you know how much I'm paying to stay in this city? I thought, that's, I've gone it's too far. I don't know, I took his money. But it, it was <laughs> gone too far. Uh, and yeah, the audiophiles keep uh, complaining that the, 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 the volume of the, the people at home who are not paying for this, so uh, fuck them. Uh, <laughs> they're saying that the, 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 the noise changes to, uh, volume, James, depending on who's talking and what we're going, uh, and that I should normalise, should we should normalise it. They, well, you cannot normalise what you do, you audiophiles, you're disgusting. <laughs> Disgust, what they do to sound, and sometimes fresh new sounds that have just been made. <laughs> Get away with it. It's disgusting. Uh, and uh, oh, the news in today, I uh, saw so on the front page of Chorter, which is kind of the common comedian's website, uh, Emily Hudd uh, says, uh, they're talking about comedians getting onto TV. She says, some comedians don't have the right kind of audience to get on TV. This is your fucking fault, you wankers. This is, I just want to be on the telly, and because of you, you're not the right kind of audience. You've brought me down. Uh, if I was working in TV, which I would be if it wasn't for you fuckers. <laughs> then uh, I'd be more worried about all the people who aren't watching TV that, that, they, that they don't have because it's a dead medium. Uh, good, so get in a podcast, guys. You're all going to be doing it soon. Uh, so, look, we're going to crack on, I think. Um, yeah, why not? Uh, we managed to get over 100 in today. I didn't think we were going to get over it. There's only been one show that's been under 100 people in the audience. 2nd of August is still the chittest date. <laughs> <laughs> of all the dates I've had. Right, my, get, my first guest, so well done for being over 100 people. Um, my first guest today is probably best known for her work as being camera assistant on Crapston Villas. <laughs> That's why we've all come out today. Will you please welcome the incredible Susan Murray, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Susan Murray. Come in, welcome. Hello, sit down, pick up, there's a mic there, it's all nice. Hello. Water. We thought of everything. How are you doing? I'm really good. How are you? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, I'm all right. In fact, I was, I was just saying to you backstage, I, uh, two years ago at this stage in the Fringe, um, I was doing my show, Oh Frig, I'm 50, and I would walk from this end of town to the Pleasance, and when I got to the bottom bit of the Pleasance, I had to sit on a wall for five minutes, because I, I genuinely didn't have the energy to walk up the hill. So Every, everywhere's uphill. Even yeah. when you're going down, it feels like it's uphill. And I'm, I live at the bottom of the hill, so no matter what I come into town to do, I'm sweating within 10 minutes. I'm always covered in a film of sweat in this city. Yeah. Even if it's warm. If it's not warm, it's raining. <laughs> so you just always, how's Edinburgh? It's brilliant, but it's damp. Every, every 24-7. Yeah, so I'm, yeah, I'm sweating but I'm still managing to move around. So I think I'm in a better place than I was two years ago. A bit fitter. A little bit fitter than I was two years ago. Do you think ago. you get fitter from being in Edinburgh for a month? Um, well, you can do. I think I've got a little less fit than the start of Edinburgh because I've been eating a lot of, like, cakes. <laughs> I've stopped eating chocolate and I've stopped drinking, but in Edinburgh I've started eating... My daughter has likes donuts and I keep eating her donuts. And also, when you're, when you're doing lots of gigs around, you're sort of eating on the hoof a lot of the time. You just yeah. think, I just need to put something in me for a bit of energy. Yeah. And um, we're not feeling. doing drugs anymore because we're, we're this age, aren't we? Oh, God. It's a shame, really. It is. It is. But there we go. Well, you know, we're, not, we're still young, Susan. We're still very young. Uh, <laughs> You're kidding nobody, Richard. <laughs> Tell me about uh, being the camera assistant on Crapston Villas. Do you remember the show Crapston Villas, ladies and gentlemen? 
It was mm, Channel 4, it was at quarter past 11, it was specifically done, designed for people coming in from the pub. Um, and I was a trainee camera assistant, not a proper camera assistant. <laughs> and um, it was stop frame uh, animation, it was an adult sitcom, and it was really good fun. I, I discovered that I preferred working with people who graduated from art college right. than the people that, because I did media studies degree, what a pointless waste <laughs> of time that was. Um, and they were sort of quite spotty on that, nice but a bit spotty, and I preferred the kind of slightly more anarchic, arts graduates but I can't draw for shit basically so <laughs> so I became a camera assistant and uh, yeah, it was really good fun and well, that's because that's how I started stand-up because yeah. the woman who wrote and directed that Sarah Kennedy Sarah Ann Kennedy um, her sister had done a stand-up course with Hattie Hayridge oh. so she told me about the stand-up course at uh, Jackson's Lane Community yes, Centre yeah. you know the one I did I think I did it for a little while yeah yeah I was we, we were I was taught by Tinky Winky <laughs> <laughs> Dave Thompson taught yeah. that course so yeah, and I, yeah, so yeah, that's how I came to do stand up, basically from working on Crapston Villas. Yeah, he was the original guy inside Tinky Winky until he got sacked for being too perverted, I think. What, wandering I around mean, naked what? and smoking hash out of a pipe all day, I think. <laughs> we might have to edit that bit out, not sure. <laughs> we'll leave it in, see what happens, it's not our problem. Uh, <laughs> and this year's show, uh, how, many have you, how many shows have you done in Edinburgh, like full length shows? Solo ones? Yeah. Uh, I did The Glottal Stops Here, which was about accents. Great title. Uh, I did Photo Booth. I also did Fockwit Club, and this is my fourth one. Fourth one, yeah. Because yeah. you've, you've been doing, um, you know, you've, you're very established on the stand-up circuit around yeah. the country. And that, and again, we had uh, Rich Wilson on uh, the other day. Was, again, there's another kind of more middle-aged comedian who's sort of come to Edinburgh a little bit later on in his life, you know, because a lot of club comedians are quite snooty about Edinburgh or just can't afford to do it. It, there just seems to be two different worlds, doesn't yeah. there? There's the kind of like, the ed we, because we, we, us circuit comics, the ones who earn a living throughout the year, look at all the Edinburgh comics that have been nominated for the awards and go, what do you do the rest of the year? I don't see your name listed, I never work with you, I don't know who you are. And we just can't, we don't quite get it. No. <laughs> it's like there's like a secret society that we're not allowed <laughs> in because we're too common. So, yeah, it's, it's bizarre. And like, I, I did listen to the Rich Wilson podcast. Yeah. And um, he was, um, it was interesting that he was saying that, because I'm doing free fringe, um, and I'm living with two people who are doing paid fringe, and they're both just like, I'm coming in counting money every day. <laughs> and they're both going, I wish you'd done the free fringe now. <laughs> oh, God, I'm going to lose so much money. Even if you sell loads of tickets, you can still lose loads of money, because any people who make money out of this festival of the council, the landlords, mostly the landlords, um, uh, the, you know, the bars, the hotels, and it's the performers that lose money. And yeah. like, we're just getting shafted left, right and centre. It's like a big corporate gangbang, isn't it? <laughs> um, and yeah, it's, but it, it was interesting what he was saying, how you kind of, your status goes up if you do the paid fringe as opposed to the free fringe. And I don't, that's just one person. Do you think that's true? I don't know. I don't think it matters really either way. I think, you know, both your health of mind and body, it's nice to know you're not losing loads of money. If you're doing true. a show and losing loads of money, which I've done some years, many years really, uh, and, uh, you know, that makes you depressed if you're losing. And then you're not going to do a good show if you're no, depressed. No, no. So it does. It, well, I remember when I was doing, that year I lost 45 grand putting on a play and my stand-up show not didn't Not that he ever mentions it at <laughs> all, ever. <laughs> I didn't do, my stand-up show didn't do as well as musicals is on later and I didn't get so I thought oh the sound actually will mop up some of that debt but it didn't oh. and I remember like you know I was behind the curtain about to go on and do quite an energetic show and oh, Christian Riley was in that show and I would be just like ashen face but the minute I threw the curtain I really made the effort to not let it show consummate professional so I did but he, but he literally said you look so you know before you go on you look so unhappy <laughs> and then you go through and then you know but I did enjoy doing <laughs> the shows but yeah I mean I don't think you know I think it's about creating the show and, and, and the thing with uh the the club circuit is the is really real comedy. Those the guys doing the club circuit year in year out. That's what comedy is. A lot of people doing Edinburgh are trying to move on to something else. You know, especially now. There's no, you know, you might be trying to move on to tour your shows, I guess, in bigger theatres. Mm. But if you're managing to stay working in club comedy your whole life, then that's the that's the proper. It's the job. best dead end job in the world. <laughs> <laughs> But it's, you know, it is, I think, I was thinking about it, it's a sort of admirable thing, and there's a lot of guys, and when I started, there weren't many middle-aged people doing stand-up. So but there's there nothing else for us to do. No, no. But How do you, what, what, I mean, what career change can you do when you're 50 and you've been a road dog comic yeah. for 20-odd years, you know, wrecking cars up and the country because <laughs> you're doing, putting so many miles on the clock? Yeah, yeah. What, what else can you do? No, nothing. But and I like the fact, but I do like that, because I just think, well, I don't have to do anything else, because... 
we're all just growing old, you know, so, so there's still people who are older than me and there's still people who are younger. I'm kind yeah. of like, almost like directly in the middle. Well, I won't always be, but you know what I mean? Yeah. And I quite like that fact, so. Yeah. And again, but just when, we, when I saw it, there wasn't, you know, the circuit had only been going for 10 years or so, so there wasn't, you know, I mean, Bob Boynton might have been the oldest person on the circuit. <laughs> and he was probably 35 or something, you know, when I was... 35. You know, so... <laughs> it's like Logan's <laughs> run. <laughs> I was 20. But, it, it, you know, that is, it's interesting. I mean, well, it, it's part of the problem, I suppose. There's, it means that there's all these established acts who are still working and not moving on because there's thousands of comedians. So those new comedians who are coming up here probably come up here because they can't get the work. But do you think the they're not moving on because the media, <coughs> i.e. TV and radio, are pretty ageist because you never yeah. see any new um, acts under the age of 35 on, on um, Live at the Apollo unless no. they've already established yeah it's very rare it's very difficult yeah, to break because agents only seem to be interested young and new young and new that's all they're really bothered about and if you're vaguely competent you get propelled really quite quickly I think now and I because there's, there's, there's a lot of sort of more mature lady comics like me, uh, Mandy Knight, Mandy Muden, Mary Bork, you know, all really like cracking quality comics. I include myself in that. Um, <laughs> and we, and you know, people say, oh, well, maybe you missed the bus, but there wasn't a bus to catch when we were doing it because there were so few vehicles yeah. for comics. And now they're just not interested in any woman over the age of 40, really. Yeah, I mean, that TV might change. You know, I think what TV hasn't realised is that young people don't watch TV. Yeah. So what they might they might go oh shit we need to get some of the people who actually are the same age as the people who watch TV on TV. Maybe but I, who I knows? don't know. Well, who you knows? seem more optimistic than I do. Well, I don't really want, but I don't really want to go on TV anymore. I mean that's the thing. I think you make your own. I mean, could, sorry. Could, I mean I love. I, I only want to go on TV. So that's my shtick. Is that I? I'm only. I, let me back on the telly. But I, in reality, between you and me. You know, why, why take this? Why, people say, why don't you put this on TV? And if, some, if an amazing deal Isn't came through... is there a through, small part of you that thought about getting a, a chat show on TV? Well, no, but I mean, some, I mean, you think about it before, but then, it's, again, how do, you get, how do you make that leap? But then also, it's much better doing this... I, I'm not convinced, A, I don't think I'd get paid anymore for doing it on TV. I wouldn't own the idea. It would get edited by someone else. It would get changed by someone else. And it would be restricted in terms of time and content. So I don't think there'd be really any advantage to it at all. You might, unless you're like literally on BBC One at 10 o'clock. Well, the thing is that thing of you, you'd, sell more, you'd, you'd sell more seats on, on tour because you'd just be a Maybe, I'm not sure. Because it would be something, it would be like on a terrestrial, a satellite channel, wouldn't it, more, most likely? Aim high, if, if they aim said, high, Richard. If they said, <laughs> well, if they said you're going to take over from Graham Norton, yeah, maybe that might help, but I don't think that would be... Might help. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think that would be a good move for me. <laughs> if I asked Ben Affleck if he's ever tried to suck his own cock. Maybe, maybe it would. <laughs> maybe, it, maybe it would. <laughs> he definitely has. <laughs> if there's video on the, online. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he might have someone else who'll do it for him. No, maybe not. Um... This year's show has a, it's quite a controversial idea for a show. So it's how not to die in a plane crash, which is not yeah, that controversial. It's quite, it's quite tricky because you can't, you know, you can't write jokes about actual death, really. No. And I, I do state in the show that I'm not trying to take the mickey out of anyone who's died in a plane crash or anyone who's got loved ones who's died in a plane crash because, you know, I am human. Yeah. And every time there's a plane crash, I'm the same as everyone else going, oh, my God, those poor people. Yeah. But then I'm addicted to a show called Air Crash Investigation and I just think, oh God, that's going to be a really good episode. I can't wait for them to make it. When are they going to make that one? <laughs> <laughs> Have we got any fans in of Air Crash Investigation? Oh, they're always into it. And the thing is, if you're into it, you're really into it, aren't you? <laughs> Brilliant, isn't it? I mean, it is. Well, because, you know, it's that fascination and that f uh, with your own fears, you know, and everyone gets on a plane and, and thinks it's going to crash, even though statistically it's pretty unlikely. Yeah. Um, and you know those when you do some. I mean, some. I mean, it's one of the, It's like when you watch on YouTube and someone's walking on top of buildings, you know, and they're filming themselves, and it makes me feel physically sick. It makes my shins hurt, but I can't look away from it because you know that's one of the worst things for me being on top of a building, walking around. But I can't, you know, I can't look away from those. When you when you get into one of those transcripts or whatever of, of it's it's yeah it's it's uh, air crash investigation is the jewel in the crown of of, of like you know plane crash porn basically yeah. of the horror and the thing is you can watch it knowing that you're safe on your sofa that's the best thing about it I'm really safe well I'm some not of them slamming into a Japanese mountain having <laughs> a great day <laughs> some of the planes crash into buildings so you're not a hundred percent safe <laughs> <laughs> might be <laughs> that'd be the irony if you're watching that the worst one and I don't know if you've you covered this the one that I keep going back to and that makes me feel sick but also I mean, it's almost funny, but it's absolutely terrible. Is when the pilot of a plane, the transcript of the cockpit thing, and he lets his son have a crack on the, 
He took on his the kids. joystick. He must have had the kids. Oh, sorry, guys. It's my turn to have the kids for the weekend. Yeah, because we've all done it, haven't we? We've all gone to work with our dads and crashed a multi-million pound <laughs> machine into, the, into a mountain. Yeah, that, yeah that, I mean, I, I can't talk about because there's people always say, oh, did you talk about this one? But yeah, I can't yeah. fit them all in because there's too many amazing, I mean, terrible, I mean, brilliant, I mean, awful, plane crashes. Um, and I can't quite, I can't physically fit them. That's why I quite like to tour it because I'd like to be able to do more because they're all yeah. about Tenerife and, you know, all these, <laughs> you know, the all-time classics. <laughs> But it's sort of like that. I mean, because it's sort of. I mean, if it wasn't that hundreds of people have died, it would be quite an embarrassing story to tell, right? Wouldn't it? But but it's that thing where he lets his son uh, fly the plane, and and then the plane goes into a spiral and crashes. But just what's going through your head as you go? As you a, you're thinking, oh fuck, my wife's going to kill me, and and, oh, all these people are dead. (laughs) And and, oh fuck, I've got to get out of this. It's just the absolute. As a parent as well, you go. That's the worst. Do you want the the actual details of it? Yeah, go on then. Okay. So he brings his kids on, and it's against all regulations. And he lets the little girl sit in the pilot seat. And what the pilot does, he he adjusts the autopilot and goes, just turn that a little bit, so she thinks that she's flying the plane, right? And of course she isn't. So then they get the the boy in, and he's fifteen. And because boys are fucking idiots, right? (laughs) And he does a similar thing. And he but he, he he pulls the control too hard and he's partly disengages the autopilot right. right so then the plane starts to bank and the, the first person there's like there's about five people in the cockpit and the first person to notice it happening is the boy and he goes should the plane be doing this and you go these other guys are trained and you're not trained how come you were the one to notice and then there's a discussion for like about a few, they're going, oh, is this, um, is this Aaron? And are we, on, are we in a holding pattern? And they're like, what are you doing? There's four, there's three yeah. pilots and they still can't work it out. Then they finally discover, then the plane starts banking downwards. And the co-pilot, he can't get to the seat. And then the, uh, the autopilot disengages and it starts, and then, and then the, the, the computer system flicks in and it goes up again. And so it's partly them just not noticing and the computer half working and then the, they manages to get into the seat and then he overcompensates and brings the plane up virtually vertical so of course it stalls and goes down again in the corkscrew the pilot manages to recover amazingly so like they think they're going to die twice and then they've lost so much altitude they slam into a mountain <laughs> i don't talk about that in the show by the way <laughs> i mean it's it's terrible but you know it's fascinating as well, isn't it? That's the that's the. It's quite it's quite it's it's fascinatingly gruesome, isn't it? Um, and the thing in the show, what I've had to do because it's hard to write, you know, jokes about actual plane crashes because we know people die, don't we? So I've had to put like just tent poles in of jokes in between them to sort of yeah. make the show just, you know, not people with their jaws on the floor just horrified, walking out shaking. So it it was quite a sort of challenge. How do I make a show funny about plane crashes? So yeah. that was it, was, it was really interesting, you know, doing the actual writing. And of course, I love the research. Um, <laughs> three o'clock in the morning, oh, another air crash investigation, brilliant. <laughs> so yeah, it's been, it's, I've really enjoyed doing it. And do you have advice, do you have advice on how to avoid dying in a plane crash? Is that I've got of, loads yeah. of tips, loads Don't of Don't get on a plane. Yeah, swim. <laughs> um, yeah, my, I think my favorite one is take your own bomb. Because what are the chances of there being two people on the plane with a bomb? <laughs> it's not going to happen, is it? No. So I've got some genuine ones in the show, and I've got some really yeah. daft ones as well. Yeah. We had, do you know, do you know the Victoria Corrin story? We had Victoria Corrin, who was very afraid of flying, and went to a, a you know, to a therapist to help her cure. And then months later, he died in a plane and crash. He died in a plane crash. Yeah. Yeah. What was it? What was he thinking as he was careering <laughs> to the ground? <laughs> oh, I'm such a hypocrite. <laughs> but they can't ask for their money back. <laughs> Oh, well, it's, you know, wonderful light topics like this that keep us going. And um, uh, what's how we do? Oh, yes, we, got, we haven't got too long. Uh, well, let's talk a bit about the Red Imp Club. You set up the Red Imp Club in Walthamstow. It's one of the best clubs in London. It is, isn't it? Yeah, it's a terrific club. Do you know the reason I, s- I, only read the re- I set up this club in Walthamstow? Mainly because I wanted practice at emceeing. Mm-hmm. Because unless you've got a residency, it's, it's a different thing, isn't it, emceeing on stage? It's yeah. a different muscle. It's kind of a different skill set. And, um, and unless you keep doing it on a regular basis, it's kind of hard to keep that going. So I just, that's the only reason I ever started the gig. And it's just sort of grown and grown and grown. And now I've got people like you that come and do it. And yeah. I've got Stuart Lee in September doing three nights. Um, so my locals in Walthamstow are just like, they're amazed that all these people come to <laughs> Walthamstow and don't get stabbed. Well, you do a great, you do a great season of uh, Edinburgh Previews, which is very useful for comedians as well. But it's a, it's a great club to try because it's, it's always full, and it, but it's also, it's an audience of people who've seen enough comedy that they 
they get what they were a good comedy year. crowd. They're a little bit like there's a, there was a gig in Crouch End that was always it was like you know, it's the same demographic that that used to be before all the bankers and like hedge fund managers moved into moved into Crouch End. So it's the same demographic. It's all like teachers and social workers and artists and journalists. It's a really nice mix of people. They're very radio for, uh, but you know they're they're a really good crowd. And it's Zoe Lyons' his favourite gig to do, and and Omid Jalili comes back and does it a few times a year. Yeah. So people ask me to come and if they can come and do the gig because it's a, such a nice gig to do. So that makes my job a lot easier. Doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so it runs all year, doesn't it? It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, yeah. so it's generally a monthly gig, but if yeah. acts want to come and do an extra gig, if the room is free, I just bung it in. Well, look out! Look out! If you're in Walthamstow, look out for that. It's well worth going. And you run, you do, you you organise the comedians' Christmas party as well. The That's look on your face when you see <laughs> organise. I do. I've been organising the co- comedians' annual Christmas party for about ten years, and we have it in January. You're not invited. Um, <laughs> and yeah, we do it on the. On, we, it's nice actually because it's a Tuesday. No one ever works in January on a Tuesday. So venues are like, please come and spend loads of, because we drink, we drink loads of alcohol. <laughs> and um, and it's, it's really, because it's a bit like being in Edinburgh, but without the stress. How many did you have in? How many, it was all like, it's like, how was your Christmas? My family, I wanted to murder my family, me too. Let's get drunk. It's that kind of thing. It's interesting because comedians, often when I was talking to Tommy Tin, who was on yesterday, and I, you know, I've never actually gigged with Tommy and I've met him once and just in Edinburgh in the streets and before and that you know you've worked to get, worked in the same job for 20 30 years and never bumped into each other anyway. and that that's weird with comedians that is bizarre. some people you see all the time and some people you just gig with once every 15 years yeah. but it, so that's it's lovely to go to well, Edinburgh and that that party is a great way to but but what I like also about comedians I was talking to Ed Byrne about this is just even if you haven't seen a comedian for 10 years you basically there's something about comedians where you just sort of slide back into wherever you were before. It's like being in an army regiment because you've been through the same shit. I suppose it's a bit like being a firefighter. You don't know what you've been... You weren't there, man. (laughs) You don't know what you've been through until, you know, it's because that's how you connect, isn't it? Like, we've all had terrible gigs. We've all had terrible agents. You know, we've all had awful drives. And it's, you know, you you bond on the negativity, don't you, really? (laughs) Yeah, and I think sometimes it's hard for comedians. Some comedians have said, you know, it's hard to... When you're just meeting your partner's friends or whatever in, in dinner parties, you, it's not. It's a bit boring and weird. It's a bit for you. Dull, isn't it? And it's really hard to because people are asking you about being a comedian and it gets boring or they just. Oh, so it's God, weird. I can't bear it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a weird thing that that kind of. I mean, it's what it's why this podcast works really. It's do you know? Do you know the, the best thing my boyfriend did this 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 year? He said, "I, I said, do you want to come up to Edinburgh?" <laughs> And I said, don't come up the first week because you're getting into the swing of it. And he said, shall I just not come up and leave you to your Edinburgh bubble? I went, oh, I love you. You're amazing. <laughs> and I've told quite a few of my girlfriends that have gone, oh, he's brilliant. Because it's just a pain in the arse when, fa- when your mates come up and your family come up. Like, no, I've got to deal with you. Because just, you're just working, really. You're yeah. just kind of trying to get in the swing of it. And they just interrupt it. Yeah, and by this, t- by this stage as well, when people are turning up now, you're kind of ready to die. And <laughs> Do Unless you you're coming with a million pounds and use banknotes, just stay away from Edinburgh. <laughs> right, let's ask you a couple of emergency questions. Um, this is one I've been asking everyone recently, so I'll ask you. You may have heard it if you heard the Rich Wilson podcast, so maybe you thought about it. Uh, if you could have one item from any art gallery or museum in the world and get to keep it and it's yours, what item would you take from any kind of anything? Have you heard my accent? <laughs> Do what art galleries do you think I go to? to be art I don't even go to Wolverhampton Art Gallery. <laughs> I think it's a, I think it's a Weatherspoons now anyway. Um, yeah. <laughs> I just go to the ones at Weatherspoons. Well, it's obviously going to have to be the Mona Lisa because it's worth the most money, and it might just pay me half a month's rent in Edinburgh Festival. <laughs> good, yeah, good choice. Uh, let's see what comes up randomly, Susan. Uh, it'll probably be about air travel, and <laughs> everyone will feel sick again. Uh, do you secretly wonder if you are the new Jesus? <laughs> The new Jesus. Yeah, the new. I mean, he's going to come back, isn't he? I mean, you know, so the same Jesus, but... Secretly really wondering from the new Jesus. Yeah. My ego's just not that big. Yeah. A lot of comedians, I think, would, would do. I think Donald Trump seems to have got, got there. Maybe, maybe if I took enough decent drugs, I would. Yeah. You know, a little bit of psychosis, because apparently that's what, that's what you write a show about these days, and then you get six million stars for it. <laughs> psychosis, sexuality, <laughs> feminism. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not, not, air, comedian. Not, not air crashes. That's not going to. They're that's, not going to give you an award. That's right. not on the list of awards, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> like, saving people's lives. Forty-five people by four. That's how much many my, my venue holds. <laughs> right, and one more. Let's see. I'll go to a different page. Uh, oh, here's another. Do you ever secretly wonder? Question. Coincidentally, do you ever secretly? <laughs> do you ever wonder? This is for children. This question. Do you ever wonder if secretly you're a prince or princess, and that you'll one day take your rightful place on the throne? 
I mean, probably if you're not thought, done that you're Jesus, you probably haven't thought that. Do you think you might be a secret child of Diana, Lady Diana? Probably not Lady Diana. I don't think, I don't think the Anne. dates work out, do they? <laughs> Princess Anne, maybe. <laughs> Princess Margaret. It could be Princess you know Margaret. I've got child. such low self-esteem. I once. Do you remember? Does anybody remember uh, a, a, a comic called Mandy? It was a little girl's comic, along with Twinkle. In the, that's how old I am. <laughs> Twinkle. And there were always stories about orphans yes. in, a, in, a, in a workhouse. And it turned out they had a twin sister who was still living with the family. For some reason, they've, 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 they've given one kid away, even though they're loaded, right? <laughs> and she's in a workhouse and the other, and they're getting like telepathic messages. And I actually demanded to see my birth certificate when I was about eight, eight years old. And I was really disappointed I wasn't adopted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought I was going to have better parents than you. <laughs> now look at me. Stand up a comedian with low self-esteem. All right, here's a new um, emergency question that I came up with. Yesterday. I might have written this one before. It's quite, uh, it's quite uh, um, what's the word, ripped off of myself. What is the biggest animal that has bitten you? <laughs> the biggest animal that's yeah. bitten me? What have you been bitten by? Do humans count? Yeah, I mean, possibly. If there's I got bitten bigger. at a gig once. Did you? Yeah, yeah, by some mad woman at a new model army gig. <laughs> <laughs> Not one of your own gigs. So in the crowd, someone just bit you. Yeah, somebody bit me in the middle of a mosh pit. Wow. <laughs> Some people do that, don't they? I mean, my son does that. I think you're allowed to when you're 18 months, but it's, it's annoying. He's yeah, I mean, I don't think she was teething at 40. No. <laughs> Some people do have that, that, that kind of compulsion to bite. I don't like big animals. I'm scared of horses. Yeah. They, that would give you a nasty nip. Yeah. They yeah, are yeah. scary. I've seen them up close now because I live in the countryside now. There's horses next to my house. Do you house. live in the countryside yeah. now? Why do you yeah. live in the countryside? Because I, so I can look at horses closer <laughs> and see how weird they are. Because I've got children. You have to take them out of the city in case there's a, a, you know, a nuclear attack. <laughs> in case a plane crashes into your house. Although we're right under the flight path for Luton Airport, so we're we'll probably be taking Oh, it. plane spotting, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if it comes down, mm, yeah. hope you've got life insurance. <laughs> <laughs> and a subsidiary question, what is the biggest animal you have bitten? Bitten or eaten? Well, I mean, I did, ah. I did consider whether I would allow you to get, choose eating them as part of biting. I I mean, who bites animals? Well, I was, uh, that, Are you that hungry you can't wait for it to be killed and cooked? <laughs> um, um, you know, it would be a way to find out if you've bitten an animal. What's the, big, what's the biggest animal you've eaten? What's the biggest... Um, I, d I think it's probably just, just a cow. Like cow? No, it's probably a horse, isn't it? Because we all, horse? you know, the horse beef scandal. Yeah, we've all eaten a bit And of the thing horse. is, I don't know why that was a scandal because you go, well, horse meat is better quality than cow meat, so why is everyone complaining? True. And it probably tastes nicer. True. Yeah. People have weird affections for certain animals that they feel you shouldn't eat. I not say like, so, 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 suppose if you ride it, you're not going to yeah. eat it. <laughs> <laughs> Dirty nod, <laughs> yes. Mm. Fana, fana. I've eaten a crocodile. Have you really? Yeah. I don't go for exotic foods. I'm a bit of a vanilla kind of wimp. I yeah. don't even like spicy food. I'm all right. I don't even drink coffee because I think it tastes... It smells like heaven and it tastes like a puddle. Oh, it's good. I'm a horrifically fussy eater. I can't eat cheese if it's melted on toast. What? No, makes me gag. I'm really... What about pizza? <laughs> you can't eat pizza. I don't... It's mozzarella because it's really weak. Okay. It's sometimes if I, if I have crackers and cheese, this yeah. is so weird, I grate the cheese onto the cracker... And Marcus Brigstock goes mental because he thinks I'm a real scumbag. You don't eat cheese like that. Well, that's how I eat it. Sorry, because if I have it sliced, it makes me feel sick because it's too strong. I'm such a wimp. I'm pathetic. Good. See, we found out a lot about you asking <laughs> if you've ever been bitten an animal. Um, right. Well, tell us about your show and, uh, and where it is. My show is called How Not to Die in a Plane Crash. Who wants to learn how not to die in a plane crash? Yeah. yeah. Some of you are going to die, because not everyone's... <laughs> um, why would you not want to? So, in 100 yeah, people, what's the chances? Of, what's the proportion of people who die in One in 11 million, apparently. Okay, so 100 people, probably none, no, none of us. Yeah, probably going to be all right. I went or, on a fear of flying course, and shall I sum it up for you in the style yeah. of Harry Hill, circa 1997? Yeah. For three hours, they basically said to us, what are the chances? That's what they said for us. <laughs> paid 300 quid for that. Um, 4.30 at Banshee Labyrinth uh, every day from now to the end of the Fringe, really. I think I'll finish on Sunday. Terrific. So, yeah, 4.30 if you want to come. Oh, you have to get there a little bit early because it's very popular. They're giving out tokens and they start those from half past three. Okay. Great. Ladies and gentlemen, big round of applause for Susan Murray. Thank you. Thank you very much, Susan. See you soon. Right. Oh, how are you doing? You having a nice time? Good. It's all right, isn't it?
Uh, my son's drawn and my son's helped me with the notes today. He's scribbled all over my book. Bloody idiot. Um, can't read what I've put. Uh, so, right, well, yeah, I should just, uh, as always, just remind you that uh, you've got a free programme here in the uh, theatre before the show. That's a gift, and you don't have to give anything for it. If you feel like making a donation as you go out, I make a collection for Scope, uh, which is a fantastic charity that I'm a patron of that helps people with cerebral palsy. It's trying to get equal rights and access for disabled people. So if you see a bucket, please put some money in it. If you feel like doing, you don't have to. Or if you can't find a bucket, I will be sitting in the foyer after the show uh, trying to sell my last remaining copies of Emergency Questions books. Uh, two different ones, a big one with a thousand questions, a small one with 500 questions, they cost the same. <laughs> uh, and there's a very limited number of stickers as well. If you buy both books, you get stickers, you can buy the stickers on their own, but uh, I've only got three sheets left, so be quick. Uh, and um, I'm very happy to sign your program, say hello and do selfies and all that stuff if you want to say hello after the show. Uh, and if you're listening at home and you've enjoyed uh, these podcasts, uh, why not go to gofasterstripe.com and buy uh, those books as well and then that will be your payment for listening to these podcasts for free uh, and then you can complain about the sound quality <laughs> okay. that's the deal uh, so let's crack on uh, do give some money to scope if you feel like doing so and you can do that at home as well of course uh, in the usual way right my second guest today is probably best known for doing a stand-up show with a robot at least that is all I found when I read that that was all I was interested in <laughs> And that is all we're going to talk about. <laughs> Will you please welcome the amazing Alice Fraser, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> welcome. Hello, thank you. That's my pleasure. Thank you for coming along. Uh, it's, uh, it's my pleasure oh, and it's my job. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you in the meadows. We passed each other in the meadows, very near to your post. I don't know if you stand there. Yes, so I do. So you can go... That's where I live. I can't afford <laughs> rent in Edinburgh, so I just build a little hut out of my own posters. <laughs> Come out. That'd be quite cool, actually, if you just came out of your own face. <laughs> uh, um, so let's talk about robots uh, to begin with. Yes. So you did a show where... What kind of robot did you Well, have? the premise was it was a double act with an AI. Okay. Uh, so I just wanted to do a technical show, really, because I'd done these three shows, the trilogy, Savage, The Resistance, and Empire, which were all kind of me gutting myself on stage. Yeah. And I just wanted to do fun, silly, double act with a robot, very easy, just 117 sound cues. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was not well received. <laughs> <laughs> was there any... Um, I'm quite interested in robots for lots of reasons. Was there any sexual <laughs> tension between you? Was there any cast romances between you and the robot? Uh, there was no... No, in this... Uh, I was sort of the father of... It was sort of okay, a Frankenstein that's story. That's, that's I was the father of the robot. You're allowed to build your own robot and fuck it. That is, that's, part, that's, one of the, that's the fourth rule, rule of robotics. You know, dildos aren't recyclable. <laughs> no. They're terrible for the environment. Okay. Every orgasm is a dead dolphin. <laughs> Think about it. Like, it's you know, they're not recyclable. Though. You can't get them secondhand. I mean, you can, but you wouldn't. <laughs> so is it cheating? If you have a partner and you have sex with a robot... Should that be considered cheating on your partner, or is it fine? I think it depends on the uh, volitional element, whether if you believe the robot is a person, if you've attributed it with, uh, with uh, sort of a... I, it's the hard problem of consciousness. It is, yeah. Uh, so that, that I think once philosophers have resolved that, yeah. then you'll have to stop fucking your robot. Okay, but until that day, until it's not... But Look, hey, don't ask me for permission. If you want to fuck a robot, fuck a robot, I, man. My, my wife says I'm not allowed to, but I'm trying. <laughs> if you said that I was allowed to, that would be a big help in my <laughs> case. I don't want to fuck any of them yet. They're not sexy yet. But when they get sexy, I'm not kind of interested in... <laughs> when they get properly sexy like they are in the TV shows, I might want to have a crack. Yeah, those are actors. Yeah, I know. But when they've got that technology, which can't be far away getting closer every day. I mean, arguably, you could just fuck sociopaths. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> See, my, I, think, I think that's... A, that's, that's you've crossed the line there. <laughs> Even if, if, not so much they're conscious. It's, it's, just, it's, what you, it's more what you are considering, isn't it? Whether you think it's the... Do, whether I, genuinely, do, I've never turned my mind to this problem, no. and I'm very confused that, that you have turned your mind to it How so hard. How could you have not had done a whole show about robots and not done most of it about fucking them. It's insane. <laughs> the people who make robots are fucking them. What do I think they're making them for? Um, have you seen those Boston Robotics creepy ones? Yeah. They're going to murder you in your sleep. I That's know, not sexy. You've got to start somewhere. Unless you're into vampires. Okay. All right. Or giant I'll, mosquitoes, as I call them. You haven't helped me. I'll move on. 
<laughs> Please do. So is it that your new show is called uh, Mythos? Yes. Because you did Ethos and Mythos. Is it going to be part of a trilogy again? I don't know. I, I left it open for myself to do that. Yeah. Yes, possibly. I we'll mean, see. What would the, you know, when you do an Edinburgh show, mm. you kind of think, I hope nobody else does a show like this. Like, if you're doing a Brexit for theme show, you think, oh, I hope no one else comes up with my Brexit pun. You must have thought you were pretty safe with the Mythos title that no one else is going to do an Edinburgh show called that. Yes, I did think I was pretty safe. <laughs> uh, I did know that Stephen Fry had a book. Right. I didn't. I thought, yeah, but it's a book. It's obvious. You'll Google it and it'll be like, his is a book, hers is a show. They're very different people. <laughs> and then he decided to bring his trilogy <laughs> of shows called Mythos to the fringe. And I assume there's a lot of very confused people in his audience wondering... <laughs> Why he isn't me. <laughs> <laughs> have you had anyone come that you can't have done? Even No one could be that stupid enough to come to the wrong mythos. No, I can't imagine that they would be. And no. if they have, they've been polite enough not to Yeah. Uh, and if you go to a show called Mythos, you're clever enough to work out. I wonder if they think I'm like Tapeface franchising it out. <laughs> <laughs> you don't look anything like Stephen Fry. It's terrible. Um, so, I mean, there's some interesting stuff in the show. I haven't seen the show, but I've read a little bit about it, and it's in this show you took... I mean, I'm very interested in conspiracy theorists and people who believe in conspiracy theories. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's people who don't believe Australia exists. Yes, uh, um, that's kind of the centrepiece of my show yeah. at the moment, is I had an uh, argument with a man online who didn't believe Australia was real. Yeah. And I was in Australia at the time. <laughs> Were you, though? But... <laughs> This was the thing of I am, I was born in Australia, brought up in Australia, I know Australia, and yet I could not defeat this man in argument. <laughs> because it's sort of all this stuff of like, well, how can you prove it? How can you prove? And, and that's kind of a central question for me in everything is like, I'm not sure of anything. I'm never sure of anything. No. And I think that's a good ethical position to have, but uh, in the context of an argument with a man who doesn't believe Australia is real, it's not a useful <laughs> position. It's interesting that, I mean, I've got some acquaintances on Facebook who've gone quite full-on conspiracy theory about a lot of things, right? And so there obviously are times when conspiracy theories are proved correct. Yes. But there's a sort of attitude behind conspiracy theorists that they're the only ones who are clever enough to... I think it's such a hopeful idea of the world that anyone yeah. has their shit together enough to... All, like, have you ever tried to get, like, a planning permission for a gate? <laughs> Just the whole of our society is a delicately balanced tower of people's conflicting incompetencies. <laughs> How can you imagine just like a worldwide conspiracy of people who all agree on a plan? Yeah. Like it's it, well, it, he doesn't believe in the... This guy doesn't believe the moon landings happened. Yes. Uh, which, again, that's, you know, there's, there was quarter of a million people involved in the program to do the, the moon landing. Well, I think it's this thing. They did this very really interesting study at Yale on, on what the, the, the Dunning-Kruger effect, that if yeah. you tell somebody, say, uh, do you know how traffic lights work? They'll say, yes, I know how traffic lights work. And then you go, explain it to me step by step. And they absolutely realise they have no fucking idea how traffic lights work. That, and that we have that bias of thinking we understand things that we don't. Yeah. And you go, well, it could be this and it could be that. And, we, and we're very good at building... Like, we draw patterns in the stars. We, you know, we see faces sure. in clouds. We're very good at projecting meaning onto things that have no meaning, uh, as I showed in my robot show. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think it, just because it could be... They're very drawn to the possibilities of yeah. what might be. What I love is the sort of attitude of... I mean, they've all got that attitude of, uh, you know, I've got this, but all the sheeple don't, haven't seen through, but I'm clever enough to see through it. They don't think... You know, they think they've seen through to the world government or whatever it is, but for some reason the world government who control everything are letting them prattle on about it. I would That's argue <laughs> that there are very few... I, yeah. I wouldn't say none, but very few people who are heavy conspiracy theorists who have ever been above a middle management position in any yeah. kind of organisation. <laughs> you just realise how nightmarishly crap everyone is at everything. <laughs> Good, yeah. Well, you know, you, you could be wrong. I've been to Australia, <laughs> but how, how do I know it wasn't just all actors on a soundstage? I mean, there was a big soundstage because I drove right to the middle of it, but <laughs> it could be just the Truman Show. Someone's really gone just to a lot of trouble. Just people running alongside your car holding bad bits of scenery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a Scooby-Doo cartoon. Um, no? Okay. <laughs> no. All right, fair enough. And I saw you talking about uh, men. I was doing a bit of routine about hormones and men saying, you know, women... Can, 
you were very funny about women and, and men, uh, about hormones, men, the men who say women are ruled by hormones and yes, I, men are. I had this, uh, an argument with a friend of mine who's very right-wing and I sort of keep him round to pretend I'm not in a liberal bubble. Uh, and uh, he said, yeah, you c women are hormonal and men are rational. Yeah. And I was like, what do you... You know men have hormones too, right? <laughs> and if you don't believe men have hormones, go wait outside on a, at a pub on a Saturday night. <laughs> Just wait for two men to come out having a fist fight about something neither of them cares about. <laughs> and I like to go up to those men and be like, oh, a bit hormonal, are we? <laughs> a little bit testerical. <laughs> then you have to run. It's important you have to run at that point. <laughs> Everyone has hormones. I just think, you know, I have an app that tells me, you know, when I'm going to want chocolate and cry irrationally. You guys don't know why you do anything. <laughs> like everything in male human history was built on boners and spite. Yeah. Don't. Well, I think out of everything I've seen this Edinburgh, which isn't very much, but I've been watching a lot of things to, um, you know, research the show. But I'm not, I've not been out very much because of my stupid children. Uh, but <laughs> the thing that got to me the most was Jenna Friedman, who was on very early interviewing um, the uh, McAfee guy, uh, John McAfee, is it? The, the guy who did the virus software. And the way just she very mildly, this is a very powerful, rich man. She's a very pretty, attractive, clever woman. Uh, and she mildly flirts with him, like to, to compliments him. I'm looking younger than he is, and it's a very and he's the immediate change in his demeanour. You kind of go that that <laughs> men can claim that they're not affected by hormones when a, a man that powerful can literally just have a woman. He should go. Well, she's just interviewing me, so she's saying that to try and get round me. He's literally takes off his sunglasses, like. Oh, okay. You know, he's like, that is the change. So the most, one of the most powerful men in the world, just a woman says, you look younger than I thought you, than you actually are. Yeah, it's <laughs> amazing. I think, I think, and I have this in my show, and I think one of the problems about this kind of hierarchy and power structure and all of that, I think men don't value themselves highly enough. I really don't. I don't think men, as a general rule, have good self-esteem. They might have bravado, they might have arrogance, but I don't think they love themselves. And I, I use as an example in my show the stories of Zeus, mm -hmm. the king of the gods, who thought he had to trick women into bed. Yeah. Zeus, <laughs> the king <coughs> of the gods, was like, what have I got to be? I'll be a swan. Let me tell you about my Bitcoin investments. Like, <laughs> someone might like you for yourself, mate. Well, you just get a lot of misinformation about what women like That's as, men, as young men. So a lot of people say, like, that women love dangerous birds. So, you know, that's what he's... He's got that. Women love think, well, it people who can one. only be eaten by the queen. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, it also just the way... I grew up with a twin brother, so I was surrounded by teenage boys in my teenage years, this sort of thing that they have that they get taught of you have to impress or dazzle or bully, and that, that I think, is the real sliding scale of how far you're willing to go to, you know, trick or dazzle or bully or push or pressure a woman... It, it relies on this assumption that you're not good enough in yourself yeah. for someone to actually like you. And the way I, I think about it is particularly that blowjob mime that you'll see young men particularly doing, the like, uh, blowjob mime. Joe Rogan does it as well uh, in his... I like watching Joe Rogan's specials because he talks about really interesting ideas in a really boring way and I find it inspiring. <laughs> But just that idea that the kind of the blowjob is de degrading or, or the flip side of like, oh, thank you so much. It's like... How much of a piece of shit do you have to think you are that you think someone doing you a favour is degrading to them? <laughs> you don't think someone giving you an ice cream is degrading to them and you have to lick your own ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I know, I think men, we've talked about this a little bit, but I mean, we're brought up in such a way. So the reason that Zeus feels he has to trick women and have sex with them is because as kids, as young men, you're sort of taught that women don't want to have sex or that, that sex is, is, a, is an amazing impossible. And you feel it as well as a young man. You feel, I'm never going to have sex. I'm going to somehow have to persuade or, you know, yeah. encourage or whatever a woman to have sex with me. And, you, and if people just educated about it, honestly, that obviously human beings want to have sex, that's a well, human the, imperative. I think it's a, it's a terrible injustice that's done to young men, the idea that they are undesirable and they must pursue, and, and also to young women, that yeah. they're not taught, they're always taught that they should protect themselves from men, and they're not taught at all that they might themselves at some point feel desire. Sure. 
And so they're given no tools to manage their own desire, which means you see this particularly in like in America or puritanical societies where someone's like, oh, I want to, I want to get out there. I want to engage with the opposite sex. And they don't know how to do it. They don't know how to admit it to themselves. And so they go out and they make themselves vulnerable, yeah. which is not to victim blame. It's just saying that they don't know how to go. I mean, you need to go, yes means yes. No means no. Maybe means maybe. Yeah. Like, why don't we just see where this goes? You don't. <laughs> yeah. You don't get that. It's such yeah. a weird injustice. I yeah. think. Sorry to get real like well, no, it's passionate we, we, about we're this. We're allowed to get passionate. I think, well, I think it's a very it's a central and very interesting subject because if you you know if people were educated about it, men, men and women, young boys and girls, it's it's just you know it's it's we're made to think that sex is something shameful and weird and has to be won or whatever. And it's you know it's I don't know how you overcome that because it's obviously centuries of uh, religious guilt that. Uh, John, John, John Hastings has a great joke about that of like the idea that blowjobs are the best thing ever and he's like I've had two sandwiches that are better than any blowjob I've ever had <laughs> one was in Milton Keynes <laughs> <laughs> I love that joke so much must go, must go to Milton Keynes uh, <laughs> So well, let's, how did, you got into comedy quite an unusual route. You were a corporate lawyer. I was, yes. So what, what prompted you to make the switch from corporate law, which I don't even really understand what that is? It's a nightmare. Okay. It's what it is. Uh, no, I, I did uh, comedy at university. I did sketch comedy and improv, mainly because I was terrible at it. And I was one of those kids that was like quite good at school without trying. Uh, except at maths, and then I just didn't do that. Like, I just didn't do things I wasn't good at. And I got to university, and I was like, I don't know if I know how to learn anything. Uh, and then I did co comedy, I did this improv thing, and it was, I was, like, I can still feel the full-body hot flush of shame at how <laughs> humiliatingly bad I was at it. And I thought, this is something that I don't care about that I could get good at. And then I got addicted to it, this idea that you have to fail to get anywhere in comedy, you have to fail again and again and again and again. And I, I love that because it means I'm not a natural comedian, I'm not naturally funny. Everything I have in this industry, I earned. Yeah. And that's a really satisfying feeling. Okay. Because that idea that you like, oh, you're really good at whatever, English, or that's crippling. The, the idea of being sort of talented but lazy is, yeah. <laughs> you can't do anything with that that's not useful. But like, comedy I know I'm shit at it and now I'm good at it <laughs> through working at it so you did, did suffer did, were you in the Cambridge for life or you just worked did you you were at Cambridge you went to Cambridge I went to Cambridge I did all the smokers yeah uh, and I so I sort of worked with them I don't know what I wasn't what, in the tour who's the your touring. who are your contemporaries at, at Cambridge are they, are uh, they successful yeah <laughs> relatively yeah. uh Chris Lander okay. who is now an agent okay um, yes uh, Abby Tedder, Lucian Young, that kind of the okay. sheep, uh, okay, all yeah. of those boys. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so you nice. did you, you did some student comedy, then went to, to work in law, and then thought I'll go back to comedy. Yeah, no, I was still doing. Uh, I started doing stand up, so I went and uh, worked in a, uh, the invest, an investment bank in the U.S. as an intern, being right. paid just no money, and I was super miserable and super depressed. I'd walk down the river listening to uh, the Bugle podcast, yes, uh, and just hating my life. It was just so underpaid, so sad. And I started doing stand-up then because I had no one to work with and I didn't have the energy to make friends <laughs> to do sketch or improv. Uh, and then I kind of got addicted to not having rehearsals um, after that. So that was where I sort of started stand-up. And then, like, it was really fun going from being, like, listening to The Bugle, listening to audiobooks, and now I'm on The Bugle. Yeah. And I do audiobooks. And, yeah. like, it's, that's one of those... You don't get promotions in this industry, but sometimes there are little milestones where you're like, hmm. <laughs> no, it's like, so you, you do a lot of podcasts. I mean, I don't know why you do so many podcasts. It's ridiculous. Too many. <laughs> it's like you podcast everything in your life. It's ridiculous. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I was listening to uh, the, the Tea with Alice. Yes. So is that, is that your main... That's my, my podcast. That's, that's what happens when no one's telling me what to do. Yeah. I hoped it would be funny, but it's not. It's, <laughs> it's uh, me talking about difficult ideas with interesting people. Yeah. Things. So I, I just feel like in the world today, there's too many people certain. And when you see an argument, it's piece, person A arguing against person B. No one ever changes their mind. No one ever goes, actually, now that I say that out loud, it sounds like bullshit. <laughs> uh, you don't see that process happening. And I think that's worrying and dangerous because people yeah. can don't have a model for how to go, here's something I have no idea what to think about, or I used to think this, but I'm starting to change my mind, and I, that's what it is. We have tea, we talk, it's fun, I yeah. like it. 
That's good. I agree with that. I think like the, the, the problem is everyone's so set in what they believe now. I mean, it, it is probably social media that's created this. But if we're going to get anywhere with any of these problems, there's got to be some compromise. And yet being seen as being inconsistent or changing your mind is seen as being a weak thing, I think, for a lot of people. or a Yes, and, and there's this, this attitude towards somebody else's argument. I think this feeds in also with the conspiracy theory thing. Yeah. If you treat the, uh, the structure of somebody else's argument like a house of cards, so you're like, well, that doesn't hold up, and then the whole thing has to disappear. Whereas I think you should really, in good faith, if you're arguing, treat it like a Jenga tower. Yeah. Pull that out. <laughs> I don't agree with that. Does it still stand? Yeah. Like, I think that's a much more useful thing. And go into an argument going, where can I concede? Where can I say we agree? Where are you right? Yeah. Or where can I see what you, where you're coming from? Because otherwise you're not, you're not actually having a conversation. You're just scoring points for your audience. Yeah. And that's a fun game, but it doesn't lead anywhere. No, well, it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't resolve it. I mean, I think we're going to resolve anything that's happening. It, but it's, it seems because, you know, the, it's a short-term thing, isn't it? But, like, people are not interested in experts or facts anymore. And that, and that works, I think, as a short-term political thing. If you want your politics to succeed, mm. you can ignore facts and you can ignore scientists and you can ignore <laughs> yeah. the truth. But you can't do that over the long term because it will... You're, you know, a society without facts and without scientists will, will a civilization will f fold because someone else will have facts and truth behind their. Yeah, which doing. is again this kind of house of cards attitude yeah. to the fact we've got these institutions that people died to build, and they're flawed. Of course, they're flawed. They're run by people. Uh, so you're like, well, actually, it went wrong in this way, or actually, it's not good enough dealing with this kind of person, as though that will collapse the whole idea of justice, or the whole idea of a, a fair trial, or the whole idea of I any of these things that we value. Yeah. Like those th are things we should fight for, not against. Yeah. Good. Yeah. It's, it's hard to. Be <laughs> I'm amusing, sorry. Isn't it? sorry. Uh, this is why. This is why I'm not. I'm not naturally a no, comedian. No, but it's. I'd but I, like you know, <laughs> this show is. Uh, is we can do anything we like in this show. <laughs> sorry. It's only two more shows to go in here. Fuck them. Uh, oh no, shit! I'm touring it. Uh, let's. Let's. I once, yeah. I once had a a re what I thought was a really great chat with someone on a plane, and after about an hour, they were like, "You're pretty intense." <laughs> I think, but you know, it's it's good to hear. I really, I think all the things you're saying is good to hear someone say them because I think it's, I think that element of of, you know, not a not being able to admit fallibility, but also just being able to, uh, you know, have a conversation. Why we we used to be able to, I you used to be able to have a chat with someone who I fundamentally disagreed with and not walk away thinking they were an idiot or that they defended me or that I had to be angry with them. And that now, so you know, and I don't think most people want that. I don't think mo most of us want to. For example, Brexit, which is going to dominate us for the rest of our lives. We want to find a solution to that here in the UK, most of us. And yet the people pushing either way, uh, you know, and being resilient and saying it has to be this way are not going to create the solution. Yeah, I had this happen. I, I did do occasional Q&As on my Instagram or with my podcast listeners. And somebody said, my father is a Republican. They were in America. My father is a Republican. He has all these abhorrent uh, views about abortion and so on and so forth. I like him, we get on really well, I love him dearly, he's my father, but I feel like I should cut him out of my life right. because he has these abhorrent political views. And I was like, is he a powerful politician? Because if he isn't, <laughs> then all that matters is how he treats the people around him. Like yeah. it doesn't matter, why, is it, why does it matter? He's not a celebrity, he's not a powerful figure, he's just your dad and an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> That's allowed? Yeah. Surely that has to be allowed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, even if it's not allowed, you have to negotiate life through these people. You're not going to make those people completely change their mind. You're, not, you're probably not going to change your parents' minds at yeah. this late stage. You're certainly not going to uh, change it by burning down the relationship. No, no, no. So, you know, but you've got, you've got to ne negotiate and navigate a way through all of this. That's what we have to do with the, with the world at the moment, which is what we're not doing. Anyway, let's ask you a stupid question about Yay. something. What is the largest animal set? You're from Australia, so this is going to work. What's the largest animal that's ever bitten you? Uh, oh, I have been pleasantly nibbled by an elephant, and weirdly, uh, kangaroos always try to eat my hair. <laughs> kangaroos and wallabies go straight. I assume it looks like some sort of native grass, but they genuinely, every time I've ever come within arm's reach, tiny arm's reach yeah. of a, a kangaroo or a wallaby, they will just... And are there just kangaroos and wallabies in Australia just walking around in the street, or do you have to go and find them to... You have to go out of the middle of the city. Okay. You have to go yeah. into sort of... Uh, you know, there's national parks that ring Sydney, which is my hometown, and you, if you go out into them, yeah, you'll, yeah. you'll see one. They're quite shy as a general rule, but... Uh -huh. 
I miss that. I, w- I wish humans hadn't destroyed the giant kangaroos. That's what I would like to. I'd like to go Australia and see the original animals that were there before oh, we turned up. Oh, these massive wombats. Up. Yeah. You know, wombats, only animal that does a square poo. <laughs> they have a little like little Lego blocks. They're very cute. Yeah, my son uh, can have a crack at that. <laughs> Not this morning. It wasn't. It was very uh, formless and shapeless this morning, and up his back. <laughs> horrible things. Horrible things. Children don't have any children. <laughs> do not have any. It's bad for the environment. Don't do it. And also, they got the chill everywhere. Just when they're 18, have them hand out a thousand condoms, and they come out <laughs> at a nest, net loss. Okay. You know. Yeah, that could work. Uh, <laughs> yes, good point. And have you, what's the biggest animal you've bitten? The biggest animal? I don't know that I've bitten any big animals. Oh. I once... Have you bitten any small ones? It doesn't have to be big. It just has to be the biggest. I accidentally ate a cockroach with my breakfast cereal. Because I grew up in a, this very crumbly old mansion, a house uh, that was falling to pieces, um, and uh, we were a Buddhist family. Yeah. So we weren't allowed to kill any of these little creatures. Wow. Uh, so they would turn up in odd places. Do you know how arrogant a cockroach becomes if it knows you're not going to try and kill it? <laughs> like, fucking just... And if you, did you swallow the cockroach? Did it come out the other end okay? Because no. they can survive anything, can't they? <laughs> no, I, sp- I spat it out oh. and horrified and sort of did Next dance. time, swallow it and see what happens. And then did that. Uh, dance. It is pretty nasty, a cockroach. Yeah. They don't taste good. No. Let me, let me assure you. <laughs> but won't we all be eating insects quite soon? Isn't cockroaches one of the things we're meant to eat? Yes, I think they're probably very high in protein or something yeah. disgusting like that. Yeah. But I'm, I'm going to try, try and eat one. I, I, like, I, bet, I bet you've got a good answer to the museum art gallery question. If you could have one item from any art gallery or museum that's yours and you can take it home and keep it in the whole world, which Ooh. item would you take to own? To own, yeah. not to sell on? You can sell on, it's yours, and then you can do what you like with it. Oh, I, look, if it was just to enjoy for myself, yeah. uh, there's a, there used to be an incredible installation at the Melbourne Art Gallery that was just a pool, sort of turquoise bottom, and it had uh, just cheap bowls floating in it and a convection current that banged them against each other with this sort of beautiful gong noise, and I used to just go and sit there, and it was like so relaxing okay. and so nice. I'd have that. I reckon you could knock one of those up in your own house. Probably, but I am <laughs> desperately lazy. So <laughs> uh, that or, you know, some sort of fancy crown. <laughs> <laughs> it would, a crown would be a good choice. I haven't thought of a crown. There's lots of stuff at the Tower of London that would be really cool to one, take. One up. of those colonially thieved yeah. diamonds that are the size of your fist. That yeah, kind that would of be thing. quite nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. You know, just a little nest egg to fall back on. Yeah. Imagine owning like a, a thousand of those. I mean, imagine owning all of the crown jewels. And just think, I've still got that there. They could do, why don't they I just sell the, the crown? I imagine the Queen thinks that they, all the time. Why don't they just sell like a couple of the crown jewels and then we could sort out all the rest of the country? Yes, they could do that, yeah. but they won't. Why don't they just sell a couple of palaces and a couple of the crown jewels? A couple of the <laughs> <laughs> couple why don't we just crown. dismantle the monarchy and redistribute the wealth? There's people in America who Just set up a apparently. little guillotine in Trafalgar Square, just a, just a little uh, one. I'm just putting the idea out there. It doesn't seem fair they've got all that stuff. Not, not even big enough for heads, just a circumcision gift. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I'd take the stone of Scudden and I'd put it in my chair at home, under my chair, and sit on it. That's, where I, that's what I would do. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so we've nearly run out of time. It's been very good oh, fun no. uh, messing around with you and talking seriously with you. Uh, tell us about your show and where it's on. Oh, I have so many uh, shows. So, my show here at the Edinburgh Fringe is called Mythos. It's at the Gilded Balloon at A45. I'm also doing uh, Savage, which is the show that means the most to me in the world, as a, as a special in uh, Melbourne on the 10th of September. So, I'm doing it at the Yotel at 7 pm on Saturday, the 24th. It's free to get in and free to get out, even. Uh, it costs these people quite a lot to get there. I have to say, the people in the room. But so it could be worth it. But it could be worth it. So if you want to come to that at 7pm on Saturday, and also I'm doing it in London on the 29th of September at the Museum of Comedy. Brilliant. So, uh, juggling multiple shows So you're going, like, you're going back to Australia in, a, a, like, in between those two shows. That's quite a short period of time. So on the 10th of September, yeah, I'm filming this for a, wow. a very fancy and a special occasion, uh, which I'm not allowed to tell you who it is, but it's okay. very fancy. Okay. And, uh, is it Prince Andrew? Is it for Prince Andrew? <laughs> 
<laughs> it is absolutely not. But don't get me started on Cardinal Pell. Uh, but I, I, uh, I'm very excited to do it, but I've, I've decided to do an old show rather than my new show, and it's cool. mildly stressing me out because it's a show that means a lot to me, and all of a sudden I was like, that's why I should do it, and now I'm like, that's why I should never have decided to do it. <laughs> It'll be great. It will be fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, give a massive round of applause to the Raising Oath Fraser! Listen to our podcast, they're great as well. Thank you so much for coming along. Love to see you. Thank you. Uh, we've got three more of these. Who have we got tomorrow? We have George Egg on tomorrow uh, and uh, someone else. And um, we've got uh, Cully Beaton, I think it is. Uh, and we've got Tom Tuck and Tom Rosenthal from Friday Night Dinner on Saturday. And we've got Flo and Joan and John Kurds on Sunday, who are all fantastic acts. And there are tickets for all of those shows. You can definitely get in if you want to come. <laughs> And I'll be touring this show uh, in the autumn as well. If you are listening at home, go to show.com slash gigs and you can find out about that. Thank you very much. I'll see you at the back if you're interested. Goodbye. You have been listening to Rahalastapa at the Edinburgh Fringe with me, Richard Herring. Thank you to Pest for providing the music. Thank you to everyone at the Newtown Theatre and The Stand and everyone at gofasterstrike.com The producer is James Hingley This is a Sky Potato Fuzz and gofasterstrike.com production Go to rahalastapa.co.uk to find out more richardherring.com slash gigs to find out who my guests are for the rest of the run <laughs>